Amazing But True goes on despite the coronavirus. We look ahead to when the baseball season may start and also look back to some happy days as a Mets fan. We're also joined by Mets great John Franco as we take a trip down memory lane to talk about Mike Piazza's iconic home run after 9-11. All that and more next on Amazing But True from the New York Post. Queens, New York. Mets take the field. So amazing. Amazing But True. Orange blue. So amazing. Here's the pitch. New York folks, it's out of here. We got you. Welcome to Amazing But True, a New York Mets podcast with the New York Post. I'm your host, Jake Brown, alongside my co-host, former Mets pitcher and Emmy Award winner, Nelson Figueroa. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, wherever you get your podcast. Rate us five stars. Write a nice review if you're using Apple Former Mets reliever John Franco joins the show today. So let's get episode two of the show going. All right, Figgy, we are alive and well. We're here amidst the coronavirus. How are you doing, man? Are you quarantined in New Jersey right now? Every day it seems like uh, the rules are changing more and more, and we're starting to get to that point where we're realizing that I think the more that we can almost do a full quarantine, the better off that we're going to be. Scary times, man. Scary times and not really sure what's going on. We're seeing you know, even something like Manhattan being shut down with all the different workers that go in and out of there. You're seeing traffic. There's almost nobody on the road. It's very, very scary just to think and the mayhem that's going on in the supermarkets and the grocery stores. Uh, I'm glad last week I got out there and went to some small towns um, where I was uh, doing some pitching lessons with some kids and pulled into a couple of stop and shops and, you know, stocked up on some of the goods that I would need over the next, say, 30 days. Because now you look everywhere, all the major stores in the New York area, covered is bare and it's uh, scary times. Yeah, good luck wiping your ass in this day and age, right? I mean, <laughs> toilet paper is nowhere to be found. Even on Amazon, it's hard to order. Slim pickings right now. There is not a lot of chicken left. When I went to the grocery store on Thursday, which was before the real mayhem, the line was into the Bronx. I mean, I live in a story and I think the line extended to Yankee Stadium. It is tough and you know, we wish everyone our best wishes out there. Stay safe, stay inside, avoid the bars. New York has done a good job, Figgy, of now shutting them down, essentially. It sounds like John Taffer is running the city. Shut it down! And uh, <laughs> it's bar rescue, because that's what has to happen. You saw over the weekend, people still out partying, and, oh, I could beat this. But this is getting serious. The numbers will grow bigger and bigger, and, you know, sports is telling you. It is eight weeks now without 50 or more people at an event, and obviously baseball, unless it's a Miami Marlins game, is 50 or more people. So, you know, the season might not start, Figgy, until June 1st. And, you know, it sucks. Two ways you look at it. There's, yeah, this is serious and it's the right move. But guess what? You're also pissed because we love sports and we look at sports as kind of like our gateway. It's like our drug. It's like if, if something's going wrong in life, like everything going on in the mayhem now. Oh, it's, it's all right. The Mets play tomorrow. Oh, OK. We have this going on. We have this event. Now there's no event. There's no concert. There's no Broadway show. There is nothing. And it is a bizarre feeling. And we're just getting started. This is going to be a while. You think back to 9-11 when you think of this. And by the way, we're in our homes under essentially blankets. It is like a Boy Scouts Halloween session right now. We're going to tell each other some spooky stories, it seems like. Maybe we'll have some marshmallows by an indoor like electric fire. But me and Figgy are, you know, we're, we're sweating right now. And I'm immediately taking a shower when this show is over because I am in Noah Syndergaard treatment in my underwear. I am 
am I'm not working out and throwing I pitches. Knew it. But yeah, I'm in my underwear and I am Thor. This is the closest I will relate to <laughs> Noah Syndergaard. Um, but it, it thinks you back to the 2001 and when that was going on. It was a completely different situation. Obviously, a very serious event. We lost so many people in the tragic 9/11 uh, World Trade Center events. But that was like towards the end of the baseball season. It was only about a week to 10 days of cancellations, and then it was back. It was more so in New York. More things were canceled uh, event-wise than across the world. Now it's everything across the world, and it's for such a long period of time you were on the Phillies in 2001 can you take us back to that stretch as a fellow New Yorker that was in the big leagues at that time yeah it was uh unbelievable because I remember I was sleeping at the hotel in Atlanta and we were playing a series versus Atlanta next thing I know my brother calls me and he's like dude what are you doing I said sleeping he's like wake up one of the plane uh, plane hit the uh, World Trade Center I'm like, what are you talking about He's like, one of the Twin Towers got hit. One of the Twin Towers got hit by a plane. And I'm like thinking it's a little like prop plane, something small. So what happened? And I tune in and I'm watching this thing happen right before my eyes. And it's almost like I had just woken up. It felt like a dream. It didn't feel real. And it was like a movie. And then I watched the second tower get hit and you see them both start coming down. That was, I mean, sat there in awe, screaming at the television, didn't know what to do, didn't know what was happening at the time. And then we started hearing about the attack on the Pentagon and you know flights being canceled or or you know basically everybody trying to get planes out of the air and, and trying to keep everyone safe we're down in Atlanta trying to figure it all out they got us out of our hotel because our hotel was literally less than a quarter of a mile from the CDC down in Atlanta. And so they felt like that would be a huge target to hit. And so they got us, we were all at the ballpark. We went down to the ballpark, us and the Atlanta Braves, and we were kind of having almost like a joint workout where, you know, guys were playing catch and taking some batting practice, just hanging out, trying to uh, get outside and try to figure this whole thing out. And then we all got together and the New Yorkers got together, myself, Jason Marquis, Mike Remlinger, trying to check in on our families because cellular service, you know, was knocked out for for most of us. Um, uh, in the New York area and just trying to see if there was any way. Have you heard from this person? Have you heard from that person? What's going on? Trying to get any details that we could. And it just seems like, you know, nowadays it's much easier to get details. Uh, information is uh, available at the really flip of the switch. I remember just trying to figure out what are we going to do now? It was scary. I couldn't get a hold of my wife at the time. She was in Philadelphia. Again, Philadelphia was a lot of different sites that could have been hit and just trying to figure out who was okay, who wasn't. I have uncles that were in the NYPD and uh, FDNY, trying to get a grasp of what we just saw. Baseball was secondary. You know, we were doing that stuff because we were just there and we had time to pass. But then it all of a sudden was like, all right, let's put everything away. Let's figure out what we're doing with life right now. You know, what's going on? And in the next coming days, we had left Atlanta and we were busing to Cincinnati. And it was like almost we were in the minor leagues again. Two big buses, everybody kind of piled on, had your own row and trying to stretch out and get there as best as possible. We had to buy those inverters to plug in our phones just to try and keep our phones on just in case we got phone calls. And we traveled up uh, throughout the night, got into Cincinnati. And once we got to Cincinnati, we had gotten clearance that they were canceling baseball and we could actually fly out of the Cincinnati airport and head up to Philadelphia. We went right onto the tarmac, right up to the plane. Everybody got off the buses, quick security check. Uh, we got wanded got on and we took all our stuff with us and went back to Philadelphia. And then it was that wait and see period of when is baseball coming back? You know, we were at war 
at that time. And uh, that, that took precedence. So it was very scary. This whole thing about having a two month period of waiting around to see if sports are coming back. I mean, kids are in school or no, no longer in school now. So, you know, is school coming back? There's a lot more involved in this because of the severity of it worldwide. And I think that's what we have to recognize that sports kind of takes a backseat. It's a great escape. And I can't wait for sports to be back. But I know that when we came back after 9-11 is really where you saw kind of some of the greatest moments, I think, of camaraderie, how baseball brought smiles to faces again. Yeah, I think that was 10 days and we'll get into it, the Piazza Homer in a couple minutes. But like this is two, over two months and it is a long stretch, man. A lot of people without jobs and it's not just sports it's people now in the city with these places closed and servers and waiters you know there's working actors who have no broadway and their servers and they can't serve so how the heck are people paying rent is a big concern uh unemployment for the next couple months obviously going to rise and people will hopefully get money out of that we don't know when this will end so uh, you know the thought is june 1st figgy but what do you think you know my thought is maybe if it you know, June 1st, you get a hundred game season in, start the playoffs around mid to late October, you hope. And then, you know, the World Series goes into mid-November. You really don't want this carrying into Thanksgiving. I mean, you don't want to be Thanksgiving night eating a turkey leg and flipping between football and the World Series. You want the World Series over before then. So as a former player, what realistically could work if, say, the season started in that June 1st to June 15th range? Yeah, I, I think if you're looking for a, a June 1st kind of start date, uh, I, I, you're not really concerned about the length of the season, right? There's going to be enough of a season to – you know, have teams be in the playoffs and have the playoffs. It's going to be difficult to try and take it into November, mid-November. Remember, we saw the Colorado Rockies in the playoffs and it was snowing already by our, the end of October. So that is a scary thought to try and be playing meaningful games, the most meaningful games of someone's career possibly. And the weather effects of, you know, snow, sleet and all that stuff, having to play through that. I say status quo, everybody's going to have to be on the same page with, you know, however long the season's going to be determined playing then. And, and trying to uh, have that World Series being played out in the best conditions possible. Even as unprecedented as this is, I wouldn't be surprised if they moved it to neutral sites of, you know, like domes, being able to play indoors so that, uh, you know, the, the best conditions could be played out for these teams, uh, almost like how football does it. They don't really care to have Super Bowls outdoors in, you know, two feet of snow anymore. They, they're smarter now. And you notice that all these Super Bowls are being played out in domes and also in places where, you know, it's warmer weather. So so I think that's one of the things that baseball might have to look into. And Figgy, it's going to be weird because a lot of things have to be pushed back. There's going to be teams that have more divisional games than other teams. There might have to be a schedule of realignment. You have to remember the new rules that were put in place with the whole three batter rule. Do they change that? Do they expand rosters? Do you think you're going to need more than 25, 26? You might have to make it 28 to 30 man rosters this season and make that. There are injuries. For some, it may benefit them as they could get come back and, from injuries and get back by June but there's also some if they get hurt June July that might hurt them getting out for 2020 there's guys who are 2021 excuse me there are a lot of injuries and you know as a pitcher if you're not loose over this time and you're sitting home yeah you're getting some workouts in but you're quarantining it could affect you down the road where injuries happen and then who knows maybe the 2021 season you're sitting out with Tommy John surgery yeah having to uh, stay in tip-top physical shape is going to be the the toughest part right because quite frankly you're one of the if you're in the major leagues you're one of the 750 best players in the world. That's just what it is. And so if, if you're not in that elite 
physical shape. And listen, Big Sexy had a shape. It was round, but it was still a shape. He was someone that took great pride. You see his workouts on Instagram. So no matter what people say about baseball players, you still have to be in great peak physical condition. And all it takes is one wrong landing on one pitch for a pitcher to change your career. So you've got to kind of keep a rhythm. You got to kind of go out there. If you can go play catch, play catch, get a bullpen in, do all those things, kind of treating it like almost like the off season, you know, a much shorter off season, hopefully, but really focusing on trying to stay on top of your game. Because once the, I think once the okay is given to get back together and go back to say like the spring training format. And if they do a week of spring training games, two weeks of spring training games, just to get everybody back on the same page and teams feeling like they're, you know, okay together and get the communication lines going again, that physical part uh, should still be there. It's it's going to be the mental part of what we just went through. Yeah, and that's added time, Figgy. I mean, you figure you have to play at least like a week of spring training games just to get loose. Uh, most fans like me are like, screw that. Let's just play some damn baseball. Let's play some real baseball. And then you also have the question, Figgy, of are fans going to be in the in the crowd for these games? I mean, in spring training, if those games happen, there shouldn't be a single soul. I, even employees I wouldn't have there. Very minimal people at the spring training games. But when you're going back to like City Field, Yankee Stadium, these big ballparks, you can't figure, and you hope by then it's not an issue, you can't figure the stadium's going to be empty i mean these guys want it you you pitch you don't want an empty crowd and birds chirping but not a single person in sight that's the adrenaline you kind of feed off of and without th- even ten thousand people i mean listen i'll joke again the miami marlins are used to this but uh, these other teams i mean it's it's a weird feeling yeah with uh, that's one of the things where you don't need, you almost don't even know what that feels like anymore to not play in front of that roar of the crowd of playing in front of fans and and it's a palpable thing and I've, I've stressed it multiple times um, since I was on the air when I was at SNY that that tenth man does exist it really does and if you have that home field advantage what that means is that man your fans are behind you at all times you make an error hey they might boo a little bit but you want them to, as you're running back into the dugout you know you made a bad pitch you running back into the dugout you see guys you know pumping their fists you know they got your back that's a great feeling it it really is because the worst thing that you feel as a player is that you let them down it's not you know I don't know too many guys that are like nah so what it's never really a so what because inside you know that you made a mistake you let your teammates down then there's 40,000 other people who think they're on the team and you know of course think they could have done it and could have done it better because you gave up a home run those are the kind of people where you're like you know what I gotta be better than that I am getting paid to do this I want to represent this team in the best way possible but when you get those boo birds out and they're constantly on you you've got to find a way to get through that as well i saw what luis castillo went through you saw what matt harvey went through you saw what edwin diaz was going through last year that's a difficult thing to shake off and so that's why i always stress that hey it's okay to you know boo once that play is over once that day is over that guy goes back out there you kind of got to have his back again because you want to feel like you know you're supporting the team and and the players really, really feel that when you come out there and it's 30,000 plus who are on the same page as you that want nothing more than a victory. And not many people could speak better to getting booed off the field than Nelson Figueroa, folks. He, he exactly. knows the feeling well. <laughs> what are you doing during your quarantine? Me, like, I, I watched Hairspray the other night. People laugh at me. The soundtrack is incredible. And John Travolta as a woman is is something that will bring, you know, a smile to your face during these troubling times. I've had that soundtrack on repeat. I watched Bringing Down the House, which is also a classic with Steve Martin and Queen Latifah. What's, you know, movies? Are you watching bowling? Are you watching old highlights of yourself? <laughs> what is Figgy doing I, during this time? I'm all over the place with uh, just trying to be as prepared as possible. 
reasonable. I, I'm, I'm not big into the, you know, hoarding and having a basement full of toilet paper. I, I'm I'm trying to kind of be as normal as possible. I do pitching lessons with kids. And so I've tried to do some this weekend. If the parents want them to come out, taking all the precautions, you know, the washing of the hands and making sure I got Purell available, Lysoling, you know, the, the equipment and everything else. And just trying to uh, have a, a way of having an outlet for a lot of these kids. You know, I have a 16-year-old daughter who's going to go stir crazy here any minute. Good for these kids that they have, you know, FaceTime. They have, you know, the computers. They have the internet. They have so many ways to kind of spend this time. Um, but she's an elite gymnast and they just closed down her gym. So now it's going to be, I, I might have to get back into fighting shape because I'm going to have to work out with her. Um, and I don't know if I can keep up, quite frankly. So I'm a little bit afraid of that for the next two months of having to work out with my daughter and and, and try and get, get into better shape. So I, I, I'm trying to really not get too overwhelmed. If you're watching so much of the news, it, it just kind of it seems like it gets, uh, I didn't watch much of the news before. You know, it's one of those things where you don't want to get depressed. Sports is a way of getting away from that, right? But I want to be informed. I want to have the right information and I want to make sure that the people that I know and love are okay and, and taken care of. And you're going to work fighting things off because you're going to be fighting punches from me for the next six or however many months this show goes. We don't know. We might be together till Christmas at this rate when the season starts. Um, and speaking of what you're going to be doing, our poll question last week, Figgy, was, and you can follow Figgy on Twitter, FiggyNY, and he'll tweet out the poll question. I'll retweet it, Jake Brown Radio. You could vote. Our question last week was more baseball related because we were getting ready to preview this season, and now that is on hiatus, yet we will still bring you shows and we'll, we'll bring you interviews. We're going to make a lot of these shows interview heavy coming up after this week so we could take you back into the good times in Mets history as we will with John Franco. But last week's question was, who is this team's opening day closer? It was Edwin Diaz, Dallin Batances, Jairus Familia, Seth Lugo, or you could reply with the committee. And Edwin Diaz won pretty easily, Figgy, winning 52% of the vote. Seth Lugo, who I voted for, getting 34% of the vote. Are you a little surprised that uh, Diaz won here with, uh, you know, over 700 votes? No, and I think that's one of the things I talked about before, right? The fans booed the heck out of him last year. Everybody, including himself, was extremely disappointed about the way he performed last year. But undeniable the guy has a 100 mile an hour fastball that's you know moves all over the zone he's got a wipeout slider that he didn't have a good feel for last year and when you're a two-pitch pitcher it makes it very difficult to attack major league hitters and not have that out pitch that you went to so many times the year before for 57 saves it's a learning experience it's growth right and he's only what 24 years old you want to make sure that this year is going to be your best year and uh, i think fans are hoping for the same thing they realize that the potential that this kid has that's the volume volatility with closers, right? Jarius Familia became a closer who had 94 saves in two seasons with the Mets. He wasn't ever really thought of as a closer. The only reason he became a closer was because Mejia failed the drug test. That's really what it came down to. Mejia's suspension led to Familia getting that opportunity, and he ran with it. And he was really good those first two years. He ran into trouble in the third year, but he also had some injuries. That's another thing, is that that workload, you know, of being up almost every single game and being up for all the big moments of the game, that's high leverage situation. That's a a lot more taxing than, hey, I'm just going to go out and throw an inning here in this 10 to 1 ball game. That's uh, the mental, the physical, all play a part in it. And I think fans are having that confidence. 52% isn't, you know, a landslide by any means. But 
I also think that the 34% for Seth Lugo show that they feel like there's a viable backup. Seth Lugo can do that job as well. And Jerry's Familia has done that job. And, you know, he came back in great shape and uh, Mets fans were going to have confidence that he was going to be much better than he was last year as well. Yeah. And we'll have to see it from him whenever baseball starts. I, I, I like the aspect of Lugo can give you the eighth and ninth when you need him. But again, with Lugo, you can't really give him back to back days. He's got to have a day off if you do. So our poll question this week is, what will you be doing without sports for the next two months? This isn't a multiple choice answer. We'll read the best replies on the show next week. So what will you be doing without sports for the next two months? Figgy NY on Twitter. He'll tweet it. I'll retweet it at Jake Brown Radio. So make sure you chime in and we'll read some of your funny answers on the podcast next week. But we said we want to look back to happier days and we will do that next with former Met, the most saves by a lefty in baseball history. He had 424 saves. He had a long, tremendous career. And we'll look back as well to 9-11 and the Mike Piazza home run after 9-11. It is the lefty, the great, John Franco, joins us next on Amazing But True. And as we said, joining us now is longtime Met, longtime reliever, 21 seasons in the big leagues. He is from Brooklyn, 424 career saves, most for a lefty. It is John Franco. John, you are a Brooklyn guy. Who's more Brooklyn, you or Figgy? I was, I'm a lot older, so it's probably me. <laughs> <laughs> See, that's what I told him. I said, I got to give you give you your props. You know, you got to show respect <laughs> for the elders. And uh, he was doing it a lot longer. Of course, uh, Lafayette High School and I went to Lincoln. So we, I, I grew up as his rival, even though I didn't even know him yet. I got a chance to meet him early on in my career. When I introduced myself to Johnny, I uh, went over and said, hey, Mr. Franco. And he said, no, that's my dad. He said, it's just Johnny. I said, uh, I just wanted to introduce myself. I'm Nelson Figueroa. I said, remember the skinny Puerto Rican who used to, uh, you know, shove it up Lafayette? And he says, oh my God. And next thing you know, he took me under his wing and um, there it was, uh, a friendship was built from that day on. And he's like that uncle that uh, <laughs> takes me with him and drives me crazy, but I love him for it. Uh, everything, I taught everything uh, Nelson knows. I taught him everything he knows. I believe, I believe it. I, I would hope so. He could use a few pointers here and there. Um, pinky down on the changeup. Pinky down on the changeup. <laughs> exactly. What do you think, Johnny, of, of what's going on right now? Obviously, baseball might not start till June. You as a pitcher, I mean, what do you think on this? Do you think they should still do a 100-game season? Does it go into November? What do you think of everything going on? Well, I'm not sure what to think of it, but I'm sure whatever decision they make, it's going to be the right decision, you know, depending on when they start, the middle of May or June, or I don't know if it'll go into November, they'll cut the season down to 100 games. Uh, you know, I'm sure whenever they get the all clear to resume uh, the season, uh, I'm sure that the uh, commissioner's office and the players association and everyone who has to make those decisions will sit down and uh, make the right decision. The other thing is, you know, the players just need to, you know, be ready, you know, uh, from what I hear, some are going home, some are staying at the complexes, and uh, there's always so much you can do as a pitcher. You know, you, if you come home, you gotta get a routine where you can throw every other day. And if you're down in Florida, you really can't. There's no simulated games or, or BP, so you gotta try to do the best you can to stay in shape. Because once they, they call or say the season's gonna resume, I'm, I'm sure 
sure they're going to have a, some type of uh, short spring training again to get the guys up and going. Johnny, you pitched for so such a long time into your 40s. How did you age so gracefully? Because you see these guys nowadays over 30 and, you know, baseball says, hey, you're washed up. You went into your 40s. What was your secret? Well, I have to tell you nothing. Once the season ended, I didn't pick up a baseball until to the last week of January. And I, I took two weeks off after the season. And then I went into my weight training. I always try to watch what I eat. My wife is a, a workout fitness guru. She she works out. She cooks, you know. So I always ate well. I guess uh, good genes. But I always took care of myself. I'm always amazed that when I run into some players now and the season ended October 1st and they started throwing October 18th and I tell them why. And they say, well, I don't want to fall behind when spring training comes. I just shake my head because you know, your body needs a rest. From the time the season ended until January, the last week of January, my body was fully rested. I did all my weights. I did heavy weights from October till January. Then I cut everything in half. And a lot of stretching, a lot of running, a lot of cardio, a lot of sit-ups, and, and, and just eat right. But uh, I think now the guys are just doing way too much stuff. We have all these so-called gurus coming up with these new gimmicks, these new routines. Uh, it seems like there's a lot more injuries now than there were years ago. Half of these guys don't even have body fat on them anymore. And I think everybody needs a little fat on them. You know, I, I used to tell Eric Davis when I played in Cincinnati, he was so skinny. I used to say, come, come live with me for 10 days in, in Brooklyn. I'll make sure you get some body fat on you. Uh, <laughs> LMBs. Yeah, I just think the guys are just working. You know, it's a year-round thing now, and they're not giving their bodies a chance to rest. And, uh, and it catches up to them because, uh, like you said, you know, when you get into your 30s and uh, after these guys are washed up now or, or they're, they're on the, the home stretch of their career when they should be playing another five, six, seven years. Don't mention body fat and pitching in his 40s to Bartolo Colon. That man has mastered both of those uh, very Absolutely. well. I'd, I'd love to spend 10 days eating with Bartolo Colon and, and see what happens, uh, and I'd be glad to. You've aged gracefully, too, Johnny, in your 50s. I see you at some charity events. I've seen you with my guy Gary Perone, and you are in your 59. Is it just for men hair color? Are you following Keith's and uh, Clyde Frazier's routine? How does it work? If I go gray, I'm staying gray. If I go bald, I'm shaving it off. No, that's no problem. That a baby. <laughs> Keeping it real. Keeping it I real. Have, I have no shame. I have nothing to hide. Yeah, when, when we when we look at this weird time in sports, John, and two months now without baseball, and maybe even longer, the closest we think of is nine eleven and what happened there. Can you take us through being with the Mets and you know, obviously being a New Yorker too, and how it really hit home and you know getting back to the field, what that was like, and obviously what happened was the Piazza Homer that we'll all remember. Well, obviously we we all know what happened. We were in Pittsburgh at the time. We were at our hotel. I don't know, Figgy, when you were still with the Mets, we were staying at the same hotel, but we our hotel was right next to a federal building, and as soon as the plane went down outside of Pittsburgh, uh, the MLB called us and, and told us to get out of there, and we wound up up in the Allegheny Hills somewhere in a, in a Marriott, I don't know, forget, for like locked up for three days, and we didn't know what was going on, if we were coming home or whatever. And then they gave the old clear to come home, and we had a bus from Pittsburgh to New York, which was about eight hours. And then when we got home, we just didn't know what to do until we got that phone call that we could work out at the stadium. And we went for workouts, but then we also... Uh Shea Stadium was the uh, what do they call it? The uh, relief station where all the trucks were coming in, and we were we were unloading uh, all kinds of uh, documents, whereas batteries and gloves and whatever they needed for the rescue workers down at 9/11. And then you know we just waited and waited and waited, but we all knew that sometime or another that baseball was going to resume, whether it be 10 days or two weeks or whatever it be. But you know, for now we just don't know. It's so uncertain. You know, it could be two months, it could be longer. We don't even know. But uh, 
I think we knew back then that it was going to end within 10 days or two weeks once we got the all clear and realized what had happened and realized that everything would be safe again. And then once we did go back, you know, uh, everybody's lives were changed because of the fact that, uh, you know, when you got to the stadium, pulled up to the players' parking lot and there was bomb sniffing dogs in the locker room, you had the, the security people with the dogs coming in and checking out everybody's locker and the snipers on top of the scoreboard and, and all that stuff. And it was, it, it changed everything for, for a while and up until today. We just don't know what, what the future is going to be uh, with this uh, coronavirus. It, it could be two months, it could be longer, but 9-11, we knew that it was going to come to some time within 10 days or two weeks. And then when we got to the stadium, the best part about that was for three hours, we let the, you know, the fans forget about the tragedy and we just put a Band-Aid on for whatever, you know, that the, the World Trade Center going down. And then Piazza hit the home run and uplifted that whole stadium of, when you turn around, you saw people hugging and crying and screaming. And I mean, even now I'm talking about, it, I still get chills and the hairs on my arms still stand up. But uh, uh, it, it was something that was that you'll never forget. My teammates and I also, we went down to ground zero. About seven of us went down there. It looked like we were at Universal Studios because it didn't look real. You know, with all the, the twisted metal and the smoke coming up. We just went down to thank the, the relief workers and the firemen, police and transit and port authorities. That's to thank them for what they were doing. Crazy times. And now we have this, this uh, virus going around that we just don't know much about and hopefully not too many people get affected by it we just have to ride out the storm and hopefully in a couple of months uh, this will be past us and we can get back to normal life yeah johnny that's one of the things that really is is surprising about this whole thing that with that 9-11 game i was with the philadelphia phillies at the time and everybody talks about the mike piazza home run and that happened so much later than the first home run that i saw Fortunately, the first home run that I saw was Chipper Jones took Robert Person deep in the first inning. But then Scott Rowland answered right back in the bottom of the second. He hits a home run to tie the game. And then he had the biggest home run, bottom of the six, knocks Greg Maddox out. So he had two home runs that first game back from 9-11. And it was the same thing, like you said. The crowd went wild. People are hugging each other. USA chants were going all over the place. It was such a good change from the last you know 10 days of what had happened with the towers to hearing fans going nuts and that usa chant and even if it was you know the other team uh, you could even see that it's a ball game yes the competition was there but baseball is a part of the uh, national pastime and everybody was uplifted by us being back absolutely i remember i remember when we first went back on the road i think we went back to pittsburgh to play a, a three-game series after that i think it was i'm not sure if exactly and we were all wearing the FDNY, uh, NYPD, the Port Authority Police. And I remember the commissioner's office told us that we couldn't wear those hats. And and, uh, as, and they said if we continue to wear the hats, we're going to be fine. And uh, as a man, all 25 guys on our team told said that, uh, all right, then fine us. And uh, Todd Zeal, who was our player rep at the time, went in with the coaches and managers. And then Fred Wupon uh, made a phone call. And the next thing you know, we wore those hats for the rest of the season. And everywhere we went, whether it be Pittsburgh, St. Louis, or whatever, the crowd, you know, because being from New York, they were behind us, and, and it was just uh, so uplifting to see how the whole country came together over this tragedy and uh, the support. And, and that's what that's what's going to happen now. You know, this whole country right now, everybody has uncertainty, but uh, America's strong, and we'll all stick this out and stick together, and we'll get through this. Did you feel you guys were ready at that time to play, John? Like, was, were you emotional? Was the rest of that season difficult? You came short of the playoffs, but that was a team that came very close to making it. Yeah, I think we were ready. I think we were ready to get back. You know, once the, the, the president and then Mayor Giuliani said, let's get back to you know, normalcy, let's get back to playing baseball. Uh, we were ready. We had that time off, those 10 days of 
11 days, whatever it may be. Uh, we were still working out. That's the difference between now and then is because then we could work out as a group. Now they don't want you to work out as a group because someone might have the virus that you don't even know. So uh, there's so much uncertainty now, whereas before, you know, we would go to the stadium, work out for an hour and a half, two hours, and then go to the parking lot and unload tractor trailers full of uh, equipment, water, whatever it may be, to get down to ground zero. Well, let's transition back. Uh, we had our poll earlier about who should be the Mets closer. And although, you know, we're months away now from thinking about it, in the poll, we had four choices. Edwin Diaz, we had Jerice Familia, we had Dylan Batantis, and we also had Seth Lugo. Being one of the greatest closers in Mets history, who do you feel should be the closer? Well, I still think Diaz should be the closer. And my reason for it, he had a bad year last year. Here's my stuff. The Patantis hasn't pitched in a year and a half, so you don't know what you're going to get out of him, if he's ready or not. Or, you know, Familiar has been so up and down. And, and Seth Lugo can't go you know, back-to-back days or three days in a row. So I would think Diaz. Diaz has such, such a, so much of the upside to him. I just think it was one of those years last year. As you know, Nelson, location is everything. I don't care how hard you throw. If you don't hit your spots, you're going to get hit. And these hitters are such good hitters today that they're going to hit 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. But I think the big thing with him was he didn't have that good bite on his slider. And uh, that's what really hurt him last year. And he was in the middle of the plate, a lot of, lots, a lot of times in the middle of the plate. And that's, that's what hurt him. But I think, you know, anytime you got a kid who's 26 years old and who throws the way he does and had that outstanding slider in, in Seattle, they could uh, resurface that slider and have him throw that slider the way he did, that he's going to be a tremendous uh, asset to them. They fell a little short last year. Just think if he had a halfway decent season last year, they probably would have made the playoffs. Exactly. He's, he's really been, uh, if you look at any of those options that they have, that's got to be a great problem to have guys who have closed in New York or have that kind of late inning, uh, late game experience. And even Seth Lugo last year, who wasn't your traditional type closer, he can give you those two innings at the end of a ball game to put it away when you keep the other team down. I think having those four choices and not having to rely on one guy could be a very, very nice thing to have. Absolutely. Rojas got a pretty good pretty good choice out there. He can, on any given day, he can bring one of those guys in and they can close the game out. So uh, it's a good choice to have if you want to do a closer by committee. I remember the Cincinnati Reds in 90 did the nasty boys right they're the closer by committee and they did pretty damn well so it's a good choice to have but we got to get to that ninth inning with the lead you know what i mean and we got to get get to baseball too a few more minutes with john franco number 45 one of the mets legends what do you think of the job brody in the front office has done with this team do you think this roster when they do inevitably play uh are they good enough to be a world series contender well i think so i mean the bottom line is health you know you gotta everybody's gotta be healthy i think their pitching staff is probably one of the top three top four in, in the game they're rotation i think you know uh here's my here's my thing you know you're going to get out of the ground i think synagogue has got to step up his game steven matz definitely has to step up you know stroman we know what stroman is and you know we saw him all these years in the american league but now the national league yeah, we hope these guys take another step forward and the fifth starter is either going to be priscilla or uh or walker you know it's unfortunate one of those guys that they told that they were going to sign as a starter is going to go to the bullpen so their bullpen is going to be pretty damn deep with whoever goes there if cespedes comes back i don't know if you're going to get the same cespedes someone who hasn't played for two years, almost two years, a year and a half. And Alonzo, you know, is he going to hit 53 home runs again? Probably not, but he'll, he's a, you know, a force now. He made a name for himself. McNeil and Conforto are, are, are good professional hitters. Center field is, uh, you know, Brandon Nimmo. He, we missed, he, he missed him last year. Is he going to come back and have a, a, a nice solid year? I think uh, there's still some gaps that they probably could fill in. Brody and his staff could fill in, but uh, if it's out there, uh, I don't know if they found it yet or they're waiting, but, uh, 
we, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. And after the whole manager situation, obviously ownership was the big, you know, talking point. Where do you stand? Do you think it's time for the uh, Wilpons to sell the team and give it to someone else? Um, if they get their money, I'm sure they're going to sell it. But the, whoever the new owner is going to be, so they're willing to sell it. So uh, obviously they they must think it's time. Whoever's going to step up to the plate and, and uh, purchase the team, uh, I'm sure the ownership is going to sell it for the right price and, and get out of the game. Uh, you know, they've been owners for a very very long time. Maybe they just want to change now. So, I, I, you know, I really can't speak for them. But uh, we'll see what happens in the future. Uh, right now, everything's in limbo. You're in the sale of the team, baseball, the players. Uh, nobody knows what, what the future is going to be right now. He's a Mets Hall of Famer, 21 seasons in the big leagues, also in the Staten Island Sports Hall of Fame, and Figgy, the National Italian-American Sports Hall of Fame. So that's enough Hall of Fames for me. John Franco, <laughs> appreciate you coming on. Uh, amazing but true. Okay, guys. Thanks a lot. Stay safe uh, to you and your family. And God bless everyone. Thank you, Johnny. Same to you, Johnny. Thanks. And that's a wrap for episode two of Amazing But True, our New York Mets podcast from the New York Post. And thanks to you, Jake, for producing the show. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're using Apple, rate us five stars and write a nice review. For my co-host, Nelson Figueroa, I'm Jake Brown. Stay safe, stay inside, and wash your hands. Talk to you all next Monday.